Thank you for joining us in worship today. The service you are watching was recorded on July 9th, 2017. We will return to live broadcast on August 6th, 2017. Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. first lesson this morning comes from Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus 20, there is one of the three places in the Bible that we look to find the Ten Commandments, what we call the Ten Commandments. And this Sunday and next Sunday, we will be considering those as one of our parts or one of our tools for, for living the Christian faith, a part of our Christian toolbox. Today, um, I'm reading the first 11 verses of these commandments. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore God blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second lesson this morning comes from the New Testament from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians at the very beginning in chapter one. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolishness the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greek desi Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. 
Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble of birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The word of the Lord. Glenn Adsit and his family were missionaries in China a long time ago, before the, in the first half of the 20th century. They were there when the communist revolution happened and they were placed under house arrest at that time. The story is that one day soldiers came to their front door after they had been under house arrest for some time and told them that they could return to the United States. They were all very happy, as you might expect. The soldiers then said, you can only take 200 pounds of things with you. They had been there for many years, as many missionaries had been in that time, and they had collected quite a few items. There was a favorite vase that they had gotten. There were typewriters. There were books that people have. There was a day when people collected books, and they had a lot of them, and they weigh a lot, you know. So they had all these things, and they had to sort out what they could have and, and how they could sort this out. And so they figured it out, and they, they weighed it on a scale, and there, were, there was exactly 200 pounds of things to shake, to take, take away. So then the day came back when the soldiers returned, and the lead soldiers asked, are you ready to go? And they said, yes, we're ready to go. Did you weigh everything? Yes, we weighed everything. 200 pounds? Exactly 200 pounds. Did you weigh the kids? He wasn't joking. In a moment, all that effort, all that work just kind of went completely out of the window. What would have seemed as foolishness to think, do you have to weigh the children? And that moment became the wisest issue they could choose. In a moment, what looked to be foolish became wisdom, and what looked to be wise became foolishness. As Christians, we have this toolbox of things we carry around that help us say what we believe and help us move forward with that. They, they provide ways for us to assess what is foolish and what is wise, to, to figure out where there is strength in the world and where there is weakness. We've looked at the Apostles' Creed, and in future weeks we will uh, return to the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes, but today and next Sunday we'll be focusing on the Ten Commandments. The story of the Exodus, as it is shared in the Old Testament, not only in the book of Exodus, but also in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Numbers, as other parts of that story unfold, is a story of people who are delivered from slavery on their way to a land of promise. 
they make their way through a wilderness and they make their way through very confusing times and they're disoriented. In reality, human nature is what human nature has been for many years. And those folks in the Exodus are kind of like us. They're a mess. They need some help. They need some direction. And Moses goes to the <clears throat> Mount Sinai and he receives he receives 10 words, as it is called in, in the scriptures, the 10 commandments. Not literally 10 single words, but 10 directives, 10 words, 10 commandments that help us live with each other and live with God. There are three places in scripture where these 10 commandments show up. There's in Exodus 20, but also in Exodus 34 and in Deuteronomy 6. And if you go to different churches, sometimes there's some little variations in how these are numbered, <clears throat> but they're all basically the same, the same thing. They cover how we relate to God and how we are to relate to each other. Today, I want us to think about those first four which speak about how we relate to God. When you, hear the ten, when you hear a reference to the Ten Commandments, I can't guarantee this happened in your own mind, but when I started talking, you, went, you may have kind of rolled, done an eye roll, a mental eye roll in your head, oh no, thou shalt not, can't, can't do this. And in fact, eight of, <clears throat> eight of the Ten Commandments are framed, excuse me, <clears throat> are framed in a negative way. But sometimes we put things in a negative way <clears throat> so we will understand them in a positive way. Martin Luther <clears throat> noted that the Ten Commandments have two purposes. The first purpose was to tell us that we were wrong. Yeah, we're wrong. We're not, we're not holy. We're not, we're not good enough. That's, that's one purpose. The second purpose is to provide <clears throat> a basic social order, excuse me. So there are two, two, two purposes that Luther said. One is to tell us that we're, we've, we're wrong and it's hard hard to be holy. The second is um, there, are, uh, uh, there are basic things that need to happen in life. And these are, in, in some ways, have been alluded to as being sort of universal. I mean, the world is a better place when people aren't running around in the streets killing each other. And the world is a more stable place when people aren't stealing their neighbor's property or, or uh, running around with having an illicit, uh, illicit affairs. So those are two negative things. But John Calvin, another reformer that we Presbyterians claim, he added something else. He said the Ten Commandments are ways that we can use as measurements for doing well. They're not all negative. There's a positive way. There's, there's this third use that the law has. It urges us to do well. Does that sound strange? Think about maybe one of the most famous passages of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, the passage on love. Do you recall that? Been to a wedding? The passage defines what love is. It says, love is patient, love is kind. And then it shifts. Love is, is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love is not envious, love is not arrogant, love is not boastful. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. All of those are negative ways of saying what something is. So 
Love believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Sometimes we need to hear things in a negative way so we can frame them in our own mind in a positive way. The church in Corinth was divided. It was, it was horribly divided. They argued over their history. They argued over their behavior. They argued over how they were going to do communion. They argued over all sorts of things. Yet Paul shares with them this better way. He tells them there is this way of love. It is patient and it is kind. And also, it is not the way you're behaving. You need to do things in a different way. The children of Israel, likewise, in the wilderness, as well as the church in Corinth, they needed focus. They needed direction. They needed attention. They needed to be told where the boundaries were in a negative way so they could then make affirmations out of them. I'd like for us to think about the first four of those words or those commandments as affirmations. The first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Pretty straightforward, very negative. A God, whether you have that with a little g or a big g, is something that we cling to or we rely on that provides us with a way of orienting ourselves to the world. Saying there is only one God is a big deal because so often people, not only in the ancient world, but even in our own time, we place our trust and our confidence in all sorts of gods with little g's. Presbyterian pastor and theologian Al Wynn shares a story. He was at a function. He was a a seminary professor at the time, and he was at a function and was meeting one of the new seminary professors and his wife. The woman was speaking. She had not been raised as a Christian. She identified herself as having been grown up as a pagan, not in a moralistic sense, but in an instructional sense, without God, without any reference to God. But then she had become a Christian. And she told the group that evening, for a long time now, I have thought that I could not live if anything happened to my husband. But I have come to see that as hard as it would be, I could live without him. The one I cannot live without is God. Whoa. This is not to diminish the importance of a marital relationship. It is very important. And I know Many people have endured the loss of a spouse, and I have observed that as a very painful piece of life. But this woman's testimony is that even facing that, knowing that, she wasn't there yet, but, but thinking that, that would not be the most devastating loss she could endure because the one God would be there to walk with her through that testimony. The affirmation of the first word of the first commandment is no God that will provide, who will provide an orientation, a, a frame of reference, a guide rails for all of the things in life. The second commandment begins, you shall not make for yourself an idol our idols are physical expressions of our gods. At best, 
we use physical expressions to point to something that is beyond our present reality. For example, we know that the symbol of a cross is not the same thing as a cross. The, the symbol of the cross that is on, on the baptismal font or that you see over on the piano there. That's a symbol that points to something beyond that, that, that is almost beyond our ability to, to describe. Yet sometimes we take our symbols and we clutch them as talismans, as, as lucky uh, with superstition. We say that they will give us things. And that is what the Reformation of 500 years ago spoke against. At that time, there were many beautiful churches all over Europe. They had stained glass windows, they had icons, they had statues. They spent a lot of money on their development. And yet, when the reformers came in, they said, these things are distracting us. And they took them all out, sometimes quite violently. Now, we have learned in the time since then that symbols, stained glass windows, for example, or crosses or other symbols that we have may help us focus on God. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that the symbol itself is just a symbol. It's a doorway, it's a window. It's a way of seeing what was going to be out there. The affirmation of the second commandment is to use symbols rightly to point to God so we can see and we can say to others, this is how this works. The third commandment, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. You shall not use the Lord your God's name in vain, as it was taught to a number of us in the King James Version. This week, a Facebook friend of mine posted online that she was needing quarters. It seemed that her granddaughter was coming and she and her husband um, had decided that they would um, each put a, uh, for each one of the three of them, the, uh, the the grandmother, the grandfather, and the granddaughter, they would put a bowl out and that whenever anyone said a swear word, they would put a quarter in the, in the bowl. You may have seen that or done that. You know, it's a useful tool. And my friend was saying she needed quarters because she was the only one that was needing to put quarters in the, in the bowl. The third commandment does speak about the idea of cursing and how that can get in our way. But it's not simply that easy. It's not simply a don't curse. It's, it's deeper than that. Because God, um, God's power, God's name is beyond what we can completely understand. The, um, it speaks also the, the one of the catechisms of the church says that it speaks about not using profanity, but also not holding on to superstition, not using perjury, and also not to be ashamed of the name of God. Not to be ashamed of the name of God. Paul talks about not being ashamed of, of the name of Jesus Christ in many places and times. Remember the story of Peter? 
he had he was arrested and he was taken in uh, to the court or he was at the courtyard while Jesus was being tr tried by the the chief priest and somebody says hey I think I know you and Peter said no you know I don't, I don't know I don't know you I don't know Jesus I don't know anything I'm just sort of standing here trying to stay warm and he was asked the question again. He says, no, 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 it wasn't me. And a third time, no, it wasn't me. He denies that he knows Jesus. He denies the name of Jesus three times. I think that's a reminder that's really easy for any of us. If Peter can do it, any of us can deny that we know Jesus. Yet the commandment is, the word is, it's not the end. Peter's life did not end at that point. It was a new beginning. It was an acknowledgement of his way of needing to grow, and he did. The affirmation of the third word is honor God and find your places of new beginnings. The fourth word, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Early on in my ministry, uh, there was a minister in a nearby small town, a Presbyterian, and the people in his church did not like him at all, and they complained about it to the Presbytery. And they cited a number of reasons, but one of the reasons that was at the top of the list was that he mowed his grass on Sunday afternoon. That was not an acceptable thing for a Presbyterian minister to do, particularly when the house was owned by the church. It wasn't that long ago that doing things on a Sunday was considered to be some sort of violation of the Ten Commandments. We struggle with what it means because we live in a world now where we are on 24-7, 365. I, any number of you probably are connected to work right at this very moment. You can get a buzz that tells you you've got to get up and go do something right now. How do we have Sabbath? How do we find time for rest? How do we make that? One day in class, the German theologian Jorgen Moltmann asked his class, he, he said, what is the climax, the central purpose of creation that begins the Bible? And a promising young student replied, the creation of humanity on the sixth day. That's the pinnacle of creation. And the German theologian said, no, there are seven days in that story. And the climax, the goal, the purpose of creation is the hallowing of the Sabbath day, is making holy that Sabbath day when nothing happened, when rest occurred. In our busy world, it's almost impossible to imagine setting aside, turning off our electronic devices, not watching television, simply having a time of organized rest. We live in a world where we need to be recreated, not simply recreated, but recreated and renewed. And that is the promise, that is the hope, that is the word of the fourth commandment. Allow yourselves to be renewed and recreated in the ways that are appropriate and structured by God's word to you. Allow yourselves to be recreated. 
That's what God wants. Foolishness or wisdom, strength or weakness, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words reveal a very deep wisdom and a very true strength. They are there to, for us to hear so that we may know how we can listen and how we can engage as God's children through Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.